Benvenuti and ciao ragazzi to another episode of the newest podcast on the Far From Vesuvius Network from N to I. My name is Henry Bell and I am joined as ever by my co-host Kirsten Schluitz. How are you today? Oh, a little frustrated by technology, but uh, we're finally back. So that's exciting. Hooray! And listeners may notice a slight improvement in the audio quality of the podcast because Kirsten, you're rocking out a new microphone. How does it feel to be podcasting in, in glorious high fidelity? Well, that's a fantastic movie, so I feel pretty great about it. Nice. Yeah, it's good. They plugged the beta band. Good, 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 good Scottish band. Anyway, you're not here to listen to us talk about Scottish indie music, although I'm very happy to go on tangents for that. Can this we podcast... talk about Teenage Fan Club? Teenage Fan Club at all? Amazing band. Love them. In fact, I think the drummer from Teenage Fan Club was on my train the other day. Ooh. I know. It was very exciting. And I, I was kind of like, shall I just like fanboy him? But I didn't because I had a work uh-huh. call. Tragic. So I'm just going to have to get that train every day and hope that I can bump into him again. Anyway. Do you like Teenage Fan Club? I do. I do. Yes. I've never met. I mean, Teenage Fan Club, one of those bands where you can play with somebody and you know that they're going to like them. You know what I mean? Did you know that Nirvana were big fans? Kurt Cobain, specifically. Absolutely. And if I may, Kurt Cobain's favourite Scottish band were a very little-known band called the BMX Bandits. I don't know if you've heard of them. But they're like... The way that Teenage Flying Club is sort of quite twee, indie, very melodic. BMX Bandits, also from Glasgow, take that and times it by 300. So those of you listening that like this kind of stuff, check out the BMX Bandits. Um, Oh my God, that's great. So this podcast is not about Scottish indie music. This is giving you short blasts from SSC Napoli's past. So Kirsten, you've literally written the book on Napoli. Remember to plug the title as we always do. What's it called again? More Than Maradona. And I believe the subtitle is The Life, Death and Rebirth of SSC Napoli, I believe. Yes, and we're all absolutely looking forward to that book coming out. Before we properly kick off, I just want to give you some love for your absolutely amazing article you wrote about Napoli's start to the season on ESPN, right? Um, Genuinely one of the best articles I've ever read about Napoli. Like, it's a big one. Like, you go into real detail about placing this start into the context of other Napoli seasons and the sort of Napoli mentality is really, really interesting. Briefly, because you are someone who writes and gets paid to write about Napoli, can I just ask you, like, how did that article come about? I'm quite interested. Well, fortunately, I'm friends with one of the editors at ESPN, James Tyler, and he's been very supportive of my work. And I said, even before the season started, I said, I want to write about Napoli. But then it was more like, oh, dear what's going to happen when all of these people are gone and then it became oh here's a rebuild and then once we beat Liverpool literally the next morning I woke up and finished the entire article because I had the inspiration but it was in the works from the start of the season that something would be written about Napoli. Had you drafted some of it before? Or did you, like Elliot Smith says, he, he wrote Say Yes in 10 minutes when he woke up one day? Was it like... I, had, I wouldn't say it was 10 minutes. I'd written some notes and I had inspiration from far from Vesuvius, especially from Ken and his 
connections with the uh, Mazari squad. So that really helped a lot. Great. And if you anyone listening hasn't checked it out, do head to uh, Kirsten's, I suppose Twitter account is probably the best place to find it. Um, and or just Google Napoli ESPN. Napoli probably... ESPN, yeah. That should yeah. bring it up. How many words is it? Uh, I think, I'm not sure if we got it down to 1,500. When I turned it in, it was about 1,800. Nice. So you got, you got an 1,800-word piece on Napoli on the ESPN main site. Yes. Fair listeners, those of you that don't know the, the ins and outs of how things work, getting that kind of word count authorised by uh, a platform that big they must really dig your writing. So I'm not surprised because it's brilliant, but that's a really fantastic achievement. And I think we're very lucky to have you involved with us, you know, at Far From Vesuvius. So, which we'll find out even more now. So we are talking, we're going to the 1960s and 1970s today, aren't we? Um, so all our references to 90s guitar music were are misplaced, even though I think Teenage Fan Club, BMX, Bandits, Nirvana and Elliot Smith, all very influenced by... Um, the music of the 1960s and 70s. But we are talking about one of the most important players, not just in Napoli history, but in the history of the Italian league, uh, Carnet, right? Did I get that right? Well, let's see. How would you pronounce the Italian for dog? Carnet. And this player is Carnet. Carnet. Very similar, right? And that leads yeah. into a little lesson in which when he first came to the club, supporters would yell at him and they'd call him Pecora. And you know what that is, right? That is a kind of a cup, is it not? Or no. have I got that wrong? No. <laughs> no, which I might have said it incorrectly. So does Pecorino help? Cheese. <laughs> yes, but from a goat. So they were yelling him at him that he was more of a goat than a dog making a play off his name. Uh, Okay. And I'm sure that we will continue to mispronounce his name throughout because we are not Brazilian. We're not even Italian. So have patience with us. But um, I wanted to. Yes. Just before to frame this conversation of which I've seen your notes, which are fantastic. And again, I feel so privileged to have access to your brain. Um, my knowledge, I've always wanted to write about Kane for a variety of reasons, but he was one of the first black footballers to play in Italy. And I think it's important to start the conversation with that. And he was kind of part of three black footballers that came to the league in, in the 60s. Um, and he was also the first black coach, I think. So I think... His significance to the club, we'll talk about, but his sort of cultural significance to Italian football is vast as well. So I'm really happy that we're having this conversation. And there isn't that much out there really in English about his story. So here we go. So Kirsten, where would you like to start with everything? Well, I did start with the um, goat slash dog reference because I do believe that part of the reason for his being so slagged off at the beginning was the fact that he was black. He was the second black player in Napoli at the time. And he followed, but he followed the Uruguayan Roberto La Paz. So that's where we are in history. Yep. And 
he his nickname Kane was actually um it's derived from Kaneka, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing incorrectly, but what it means is a mug, a mug for drinking milk. He was always drinking milk when he was little, so perhaps that is what made him strong. But calcium in that milk. That's why yeah. I, I thought you said because I knew ish that there was a cup referenced to, behind his name. So there we go. Yes, yes. Um, so he's he's playing in Brazil, right? He's born in Rio de Janeiro, playing for a um neighborhood club, Olaria, and Napoli at the time are actually in Serie B. And this was coming off our amazing Copa Italia win of what was it? Wasn't that the time when we won the Copa in um nineteen sixty-two, right? Sixty two, yeah, that was the first first Copa, yeah. Our first Copa, and it was the first time that a Serie Bay side had ever won the Copa. So we've got this team who's ready to do more in the actual league and to keep impressing. And how do they do that? Well, they have an owner who's very much like our possibly beloved ADL. Um, and we're going to do a whole pod on him at some point. At some point, and he is Achille Loro. And much like De Laurentiis, he didn't really much respect rules or, you know, opinions of other people and kind of blazed his own trail, so to speak. So, what happens? He's trying to get more players to get Napoli up to Serie A, but he also doesn't want to spend a lot of money, which you know, sounds familiar. And he, he was um, in touch with an agent from Brazil who sent him a bunch of photos from Kane's club. And upon seeing the photos, <laughs> what Laura supposedly said was, this one is the ugliest. The defenders will shit their pants when they see him. Love it. Love it. I mean, that's uh, it. Really does sound like that. Sounds very familiar. That sort of way of talking about players and signings. Um, but uh, apparently that's that's a little bit of myth because uh, the player himself said that it was just like an acrobatic header type shot, um, in which he looked quite good, but he didn't look ugly. Um he was actually just the best player that was available through this agent. So Napoli were willing to pay $30,000 at that time for him going into the 1962-1963 season. Just off the back of the first Coppa Italia, just to paint a bit of a picture for listening. So we moved into the Stadio San Paolo in 59, right? And there's this sense of, you know, Napoli was, I mean, there's another part to talk about, but, you know, we we were quite a big spending club. But, you know, we've got quite a history of owners that like to throw cash at a problem. So what's this kind of sense of like, let's get on with it now. We've got the new stadium. We got relegated because of something to do with bribery. I think it, well, I can't remember now in the in the 50s. And yet so, another Italian football scandal. Yes. Yes. Of which there are many. Um, 
but so this signing was kind of part of that sort of thrust to get back into the kind of echelons or to be taken more seriously as 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 a club um yeah okay so he he arrives at the, what, the sort of beginning of 62 is that when he arrives the beginning of the 62 63 season yeah he that's when he shows up um he again they weren't spending a ton of money but they did want to compete in Serie A and they also had European play which is their first time of true European mm-hmm. play in the cup winners cup and of course there obviously aren't a lot of freshly arrived first division clubs that are playing there um, yep. and we faced Bangor City Bangor City and my dad went to university in Bangor it's in Wales yes it is um, where they lost 2-0 but then won 3-1 in Italy and instead of like playing out extra time or going to penalty shootout or whatever they had to pay, play an extra tie um, so they did move on to the round of 16, but this is kind of what killed them in the league. Um, they met OFK Belgrade, OFK Belgrade, sorry, um, who were like in the midst of their best time ever. And they drew 3-3 with them as well. And then so Napoli had to play yet another game. Oh my God. Out of, Yeah. So they were kicked out of that. And then um, I believe it was in December. They had seven players focus, uh, fail a doping test after playing Milan. Um, only three were suspended, not a three month suspension. Um, I love this. Or, or one month suspension, sorry. But we've got, like, this is the most just, like, imagine being a Napoli fan in the late 50s, early 60s. You've got promotions, relegations, cup wins, scandals, um, European ties, doping. I mean, call blimey. And it's the great period of Italian boom. It's the fastest growing economy in the world, I believe, during this period. Imagine that. Call blimey. Seven players caught doping. Love it. Seven. Three were punished. And so um, you say, imagine being a Napoli fan. Exactly. Napoli fans could not imagine it either because they were relegated at the end of the season. And okay. so when when the whistle blew against Atalanta, they lost in Bergamo. Uh, the fans invaded the pitch. They chased off the ref and they dismantled one of the goals. Love because that. Napoli were going back to Syria Bay. This is the most I'd, I mean. Thank God you're here to quote Billy Connolly because like I had not, I didn't realize that it was that crazy. This kind of three four year period, uh, with I knew a bit about Achille Lauro because he's one of those infamous figures, but that's totally nuts. So let's just bring it back to poor old Cane. Like you just turned up in a new country, a new city, and in your first season. You get relegated. Half the team gets suspended for doping and the fans come on the pitch and smash up the pitch. What must he have been thinking? Also being a young black man in Italy in the early 60s had its own challenges as well. Yes. And he's, you know, being called a goat at the time. Um, Yeah. 
to to be fair to him, he wasn't being played correctly. If you know anything about Kane, he was a winger. Mm. But at the time, he was being played as a center forward. And he was not doing very well there at all. Um, he didn't he didn't pull out a, a, a Dries Mertens um, it being converted from a winger into a forward. No, I don't think they really had the false nine type thing down at no. that time. Especially since Laurel was not really willing to buy some great players to um, now one th- go one along thing with that, him. Now, in your notes, you you cover the the next period in in Serie B, which is there's two seasons, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you've written uh, next season eighth in Serie B, yuck. Um, so I don't think that was a particularly good season for Napoli. But did Cane stay with us for this period? He did. He was there and he actually it was actually good for him that Napoli went down to Serie because he probably honestly would have left Italy if he'd had to keep coping with uh, the drama of Serie A and being a center forward and everything like that. But he goes to Serie B. He starts scoring goals um, by the second season for in Serie B. He has um, 12 and that's when they finish one point behind Brescia and they get back to Serie A. And what's important to remember there is that um, Bruno Pasola comes to the club. And that's another one we're going to have to do a whole podcast on. As a coach but or as a player? He's <laughs> This is his coaching time. Yeah. So... So he, he is the he one. He used to play for the club, didn't he? Back, back, back in the day. He's an ex-player, right? Or have I made? I that believe up? so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, absolute Napoli legend. And Petiso is the one who switched him from being a central forward to being a winner, winger, and also a winner. I guess one Very might good. say natural. Um, but what it was all leading up to was that 1965-1966 squad, which is absolutely going to have to be 1965, um, 5-66 and 66-67 will be featured else, elsewhere because that's when he brought in Pasola, brought in... Um, Names like Jose Altafini and Omar Sivori, which two of I'm the biggest sure. legends in the history of the league. Yeah. And, um, but the thing was, and this might be why Kane is not remembered so much, is that those two really loved the spotlight. It wasn't just on the pitch, though they were the ones that were getting all the goals, especially Altafini, um, but also off the pitch with their affairs with married women and having Mm. children out of wedlock and all of that stuff. So, but the thing that's not often remembered is that uh, Kanae was there with him as well, with them as well. And he's providing service to these players and setting them up and helping them to do what to form essentially what was at that point the best Napoli team that fans had ever seen. Seen It was like the most exciting time to be a fan of the club and to have this incredible football that's being played. 
And with, it was with, it was kind of like this mix between young players like Kane who and Antonio Giuliano and that kind of thing, who had been with them in Serie B, and then the Altafinis and the Sivoris who were brought in to kind of um, give the club more strength and more depth in Serie A. And they were established players when they arrived. I mean, and we're talking about Kane and we'll talk about these these other players on other shows, but it's just important just to paint that picture. You've got this kind of crazy late 50s, early 60s period, quite a lot of time in Serie B. Kane stays with us, does well. Then we're back up. We've got some young players, including club legend Antonio Juliano, the longest serving captain we've ever had. He's captain for 12 seasons. But then we're also bringing in Altafini, who I believe came from AC Milan. And he'd won the European Cup and various stuff. But also Omar Sivori, sorry, Sivori, as is the correct pronunciation, who comes from Juventus, uh, which was highly controversial at the time. And uh, say it was for a couple of seasons. So you've got these two real flair players, but then you've got Kane, who was, a, by all accounts, a very exciting winger as well. And yeah, we've got this third place finish. And then the following season, it's even better, isn't it? That's one of the best seasons of all time. Second place finish. What I love about Kane's story is that he's been through everything with the club. And again, if you just put yourself in in, in his shoes, he's come from Brazil. He's a, he's a black man in Italy at the time. It's not 100% easy. He stayed with the team through thick and thin. And in these two seasons we're talking about is playing with some of the best players in the world, some of the legends of the league must have felt brilliant in that sort of mid to late sixties period. Um, yeah. So then after the wonderful second place finish, things don't go so well for Napoli in 68, 69. We head down to sort of a seventh place finish. Yeah, um, I think it's very important to read this quote from goalkeeper Claudio Bandoni because I think player or fans of the club right now will understand what he's talking about, which is in Naples, we had so much fun that at the right moment, we lacked the right wickedness. We were doing too well. That Naples amused, that Naples amused and entertained the public. So I would say it's much like we saw from Mazzari. It's much like we saw, especially from Sari teams. They were having fun. They were being amusing, but they just weren't quite decisive enough to manage to... Uh, to get to a title. So yeah, what happens is that they end up in seventh place. Connett is only scoring six goals, but yet he that's the most in the team in 1968-69. Um, to be fair, it was a defensive-oriented team, but at the same time, it's a clear sign that things are unraveling. So it's not really a surprise that by um, 1969, he's off to Bari for three seasons. Stays so in the south of Italy, though. In interesting. Yes. Yes, because, sorry, that was the point that I was trying to make. He 
was like those other players that we love so much. He was Neapolitan at heart. Mm-hmm. He married a local girl. He became a father. A number of fans attended a wedding, his wedding. By that time, they were completely off calling him a goat and were embracing him as La Perla Nera. He was the Black Pearl of Napoli, and they completely adored him. So he was loving the south of Italy. And even though Naples had to sell him, I think he wanted to stick around. Unfortunately, when he went to Bari, they were relegated. But that's not the end. That's not that the end, of his, not the end. of his story because I mean it is interesting and I am writing this article which I do need to finish one day about Napoli adopting sons and in it I've been writing about Cane, um because of exactly what you just said and then so he goes away to Valley for three seasons they go down but he, come, he comes back he returns during another sort of really iconic period of the club's history right yeah so now we've got, he comes back in 72. Um, he's 33 years old. This is after Napoli has had to sell off Zolf and they've had to sell off Altafini and both are going to Juventus. And Uh-oh. yeah, exactly. We won't get into that there again. Another podcast can do a whole podcast on Altafini's betrayal. Um, so we've got Corrado Ferleno now. And again, another character of a president that we all talk about. And wow. again, one that's not known for opening his wallet for players. Until 1984. But anyway, that's a different, another part. You reckon my transitions here. <laughs> this team Sorry. is known for being the one that f- scored the fewest league goals in the season. So... The question really is, what were they doing bringing Kane back? Because it's not like he's a defensive player. You mm-hmm. kind of feel like uh, the poor man's talents are going going to waste. Because even though, um, no, it's not. It's not till the next season that it's Vinicio that Vinicio that takes the bench. But at this time, it's not Pesola, but they're still going with the whole boring defensive way of playing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then the next season is the. I mean, the Vinicio Napoli was incredible. He introduced zonal marking. It was kind of like total football, um, and it was legendary for its sort of attacking prowess in that kind of mid seventies period. And well, Kane was there years. for that. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years was, at least. Yeah, he had he had his last two seasons there with that fantastic way of playing and the fun that they were having again. But again, it was just the first season, 72, 70, or 73, 74, that was third, 74, 75, second. Yeah. Um, so he's now like 35. It was a fairly steady couple of years for Napoli. And that seems to be kind of what makes Napoli good i think that's what kind of worried us this season is that we didn't have that steadiness but they seem to when they have that steady same coach same basic mm-hmm. set of players they'll they'll perform better which you know not just napoli that's most teams um but 
then we get to 75 and they shake it all up again and they shake it up and Kanae is out. And by that point, he's so old and so kind of forgotten in their history, I guess, that even Wikipedia doesn't mention his transferring out of the club. But I think it was, he was quite old by then. I mean, it's interesting, like his... (laughs) Sorry, it's funny. Like, he's he's younger than we are, but in, I, in, in football, terms terms. football, yes. And he goes to you know he goes off to Canada, um, like other Napoli legends like to do that journey, doesn't he? He goes off to Montreal, I think. I can't. Yes, uh, which is a different city than Toronto. Let's make it clear that we know that. Absolutely, very different culturally. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but he's really he's very high up on the all time appearances. He's 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 there on the list of. Also, I think he's the 13th top scorer in the history of Napoli. Incredibly important player. Um, lived through some amazing times in the club's history. Also in the history, in the history of the city, he was there for the, for the horrible cholera outbreak, wasn't he, in the early 70s? Um, yeah. Uh, 73, August of 73, right after the Ferragosto. Indeed. And, but he also answered the bat signal several decades later didn't he he did he became the first black coach of Serie A history when he managed Napoli in 1994 1995 and I would just like to say I would love for someone to read a book that I can actually or write a book that I can actually read about him and given that he is now 84. His birthday is the 21st of September. So he just turned 84. Um, and maybe he's willing to spill about this because although he is technically the um, coach of 1994-95, he was brought in seven games in. Um, most people say it was actually Lyudin Boshkov, the technical director. Mm. who was in charge of coaching the club at that time, but he didn't have a license. So they had to appoint Kanae as the, you know, figurehead on the bench at that time. Yeah. Seems a bit like, I don't know. It's the sort of thing, if you're a country that's beginning, trying to understand how to live in a world where, Black people have senior roles. That sort of black stuff is people said. exist. Exactly. So, but you know, that's something I agree. I mean, I, I was I did my I was doing my homework on on Kane for this article that I was trying to write, and there is a really small amount of stuff out there, and the stuff that is out there does seem to be slightly sort of, you know, when there's like a really small amount of information, lots of different writers are kind of recycling the same information, but just in slightly different ways. I mean, somebody needs to try to talk to him if possible. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, he's in his 80s now, but what an incredible career and story. And again, part of a great lineage of adopted sons in the beautiful city of Naples. Um, Any last thoughts on Kane before we wrap things up for this week? Just that I want to say that researching him, unfortunately, I didn't go into depth and on him in the book because as you said it's mostly people recycling the same things um didn't even have enough to fill a set 
set aside text box for him. Um, but researching him again for this podcast has made me want to know more. And seriously, if someone out there is in touch with this man and he wants to give an interview, let us know because he is fascinating and definitely a Napoli hero who deserves to have the world know more about what his life was like, both his life in general and his time at the club. Absolutely. And actually his, um, there's some footage on YouTube that's really interesting. Like he looks like a very, very, very exciting player. It's always hard to tell from that really, really old footage, but. Uh, it um, is. Yeah. That's why I didn't bring it up too much. Yeah. Yeah. But he definitely, I think was in the tradition of our sort of great attacking, attacking wide, wide men. Anyway. Well, thank you very much, Kirsten. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about things. Uh, Napoli. Um, we can find you on Twitter through, well, let's just say, go to the app Far From Vesuvius thing. You'll find my handle in the bio. You'll find Kirsten's there and all the information you need to know about the network, our other shows at Napoli Rant and In the Shadow of Vesuvio. Um, we're churning it out. We're doing great this season. It's good to see. Um, and we hit 5,000 followers the other day, which is wonderful. So thank you very much, everyone, for your support. And for Napoli. Sempre!